great to be with you. Um, yeah, I did have to come to town and drop my daughter off at Hofstra University, and I said to Piero, I said, hey, I'd like to stay a couple extra days, because um, technically had that finished on Thursday, I guess, or something, and I said, can I visit your church? And then he graciously invited me to share a word with you guys, which I'm happy to do. Would have been happy to hear you preach, but I'm happy to share as well. Um, and I really do want to just bring a, a word of encouragement for you guys. Uh, I want to start by sharing a quick story here. Years ago, my wife, Scotty, that Piero mentioned, received a, uh, got a Kindle. Now, I never noticed that the words in there were in Spanish. A bunch of you can read that. I, I can read like, what and what and is. Anyway, my Spanish is terrible. Um, but it, my wife got a Kindle, and she was, which was great, because we travel quite a bit, and carrying books is difficult. At one time, I was traveling for a conference. I was, I was speaking at some meetings. And I had over 40 books in a suitcase. That's when I realized I needed to go digital. Um, but for me, I went to Logos on my uh, iPad. Some of you may know that program has a lot of biblical books. My wife, on the other hand, she went for a Kindle that has a whole lot of novels. And so she can read those when we're on the plane or in bed or at the beach or whatever, and it's a lot easier. Well, she got it recently, and one day we come into church, and we're singing and doing all that. And thank you so much for the, for the music this morning. And then I get up to preach, and as I get up to preach, my wife pulls her Kindle out and starts reading a book. And I have never had so much, dare I say, rage as I felt in that moment when I'm standing in the pulpit. Like, I should be, like, angry about sin and stuff, right? But I'm just angry, like, she's in the second row. Why is she not listening to me? And so the whole time she keeps reading this book. And so after church, I'm doing the whole thing pastors do. Like, hi, thanks for coming. But I get back, I'm like, get out of here. I need to talk to my wife. And I thought I would make it home, but I didn't. So like, before I could even get home, I find my wife in the back of the church. And I thought, i got to find the most gracious way to put this. And so here's what I said. I said to her, honey, if you're going to read a book while I'm preaching, could you at least sit in the back of the church? <laughs> and she looked at me, and as many of you know, because you're smarter than me, she's like, but I have a Bible on my Kindle. I had no idea you could have a Bible on a Kindle. I thought it was just like novels from Amazon. So there I felt really terrible. And then I had an even worse feeling. My stomach turned. I thought, what did I say during my sermon? Because the whole sermon, I'm just thinking about my wife reading the book, you know? Like not even thinking about what I'm saying. So it's amazing how easy it is to get distracted from what God has called us to do. And there I had, I had a very simple mission that day called to preach scriptures to the church. And yet I'm struggling to concentrate because there's one person has a device out, right? Like and I, I've got that all making my, my head go fuzzy. But how easy it is for each of us to lose and get distracted. And, and so often the devil, all he needs to do is distract the chosen and the rest of the world goes to hell in a handbasket, if that phrase makes sense. I've now realized that phrase is probably like an English idiom that I've had a lot of people like, what's a handbasket? Anyway, don't worry about it. The point is, if we're distracted, if those of us in this room are distracted by other things, then the devil, I mean, he can't get us. We're in the hands of the Lord, but he can keep us from reaching the rest of the world, reaching the rest of Manhattan and so forth. And so very often, and I've seen this in churches, and I see it in denominations where the devil doesn't always have to lead people into, into sin or to rejecting God. He just gets Christians fighting each other, distracted from the mission that he's given them. 
And I've been looking at the, the website here for New City, and it's so exciting, the vision that you guys have as a church. It's important. What you all are called to is important. It's important enough that it will get the devil's attention, and he doesn't want you to accomplish it. But God has called you to focus on that. That's what I want to encourage you today is, is from what I've seen, from what I know of Piero and Andrea, from what I know of the church, you guys have an important calling. You're doing an important work. Now don't get distracted. Keep running the race. You're just in some ways in the beginning of it, of what God is calling you to. And you can't yet see where you're going, right? But you know where you've come from. We'll talk about that in a second. Um, but you don't want to get distracted as you're on this race. So I want to I read you because I actually found a verse about you guys in the Bible, believe it or not, in Isaiah. So I want to pray, and then I want to read out of Isaiah chapter 66. God, we just thank you for this chance to be together, to read out of the scriptures, Father. God, we pray this morning that your spirit would guide me, that your spirit would touch each heart here. You would give us each ears to hear and, and soft hearts to adapt to whatever your spirit is saying to each of us individually, how you desire us to respond to you today. We pray this in Jesus' name. I hope it's okay I don't have a spiritual Bible with paper. Some people don't like the, like, my wife tells me it does not look spiritual for me to use an iPad. But anyway, <laughs> my Bible weighs too much to travel with. All right, Isaiah chapter 66. This is, to me, is so cool. For I know their works and their thoughts, and the time is coming to gather all nations and tongues. And they shall come and shall see my glory, and I will set a sign among them. And from them I will send survivors to the nations. Now hold on there. Do you see what's happening? God says in Isaiah, this is a prophecy. Okay, At the time, nations are very divided. You didn't have a lot of global citizens, as you call them here. And so the people are divided into different ethnic groups, their language groups, and so forth. And God says there's a sign coming where he's going to gather people together from all nations and different languages. But then what does he say he's going to do? Then he says, from them, I'm going to send them back to the nations. From the nations to the nations. Now, this is unheard of. This wasn't just sending Jewish prophets out to, you know, the way that we have like Jonah going to Nineveh. I mean, God has always cared about the nations. In the Old Testament, I've only found one place in the entire Bible where you can go five chapters without finding something about God's love for the nations. It's an interesting challenge if you want to try it. Try to go through and find where something about like God's heart for the nations doesn't come up. Within every five chapters it comes up, except in the book of Job. I found five chapters where it didn't come up. Think about that. Now maybe there's somewhere I haven't found, but I'm just saying God's heart for the nations is throughout Scripture. But it was different in the Old Testament, not his heart, but the, the, the way that the world was functioning, the way he was using the Jewish people as a light to the nations prophesying that through Abraham, I mean, there would be a blessing to the nations, right? If from him would come nations, there would be a blessing to the nations. And here in Isaiah, though, it says, okay, there's a day coming when God is going to call people, not just from the province of Israel, but God's going to call people from all nations, and then he's going to send them to the nations. Now, isn't that a picture of new city? Isn't that a picture of what international churches are, people from the nations to the nations? You know, even in the last hundred years, missions has changed in a, in a pretty dramatic way. Hundred years ago, often there were sending countries and receiving countries. So Norway, where I come from, one of the countries that we focused on was Madagascar, 
right? Island off the southeast of Africa, island nation there. Did amazing work. Led a lot of people to Christ. There's churches there, and there's still work, and there's still a connection between Norway and Madagascar. But today, it's no longer senders and receivers. Today, missions is from everywhere to everywhere. God has taken people from the nations, sending them to the nations. And it lists here, to Tarshish, Pool, and Lud, who draw the bow, bow to Tubal and Javan, to the coastlands far away, that have not heard my fame or seen my glory. And they shall declare my glory among the nations. And they shall bring all your brothers from all the nations as an offering to the Lord on horses and in chariots and in litters and on mules and in dromedaries. In other words, it's not going to look the same in every place. The way that the international churches function looks different in New York City than it does, say, in Norway, or than it does in Lagos, Nigeria, or than it does in Bangkok. And the way that people are coming to know God, it's all through Christ, but it looks different. The ways that God's using to draw people in. There's all these different ways. But it says, to my holy mountain, Jerusalem. Now, this, I believe, is illustrative of God's presence. God's presence there in Jerusalem. Not necessarily physically, geographically, that we all have to go to Jerusalem. Oh, that would be a fun trip to take. But that God is bringing them into his presence. Says the Lord, just as the Israelites bring their grain offering in a clean vessel to the house of the Lord. And then one last bit of, yeah, verse 21 here. And some of them also I will take for priests and for Levites. Now this is crazy because Levites was a tribe. Like you can't become a Levite unless you're a descendant of Levi. But God says there's a day coming when he'll take people that aren't from the tribe of Levi and we have them here. He sets aside for full-time ministry. But to me, it's just, it is such a neat thing to see Isaiah 66. We go, this was prophesied. We are living in the midst of fulfilled prophecy. It's not finished, but we are, this is what we are living out. You are a part of this. You're being called out of the nations and two nations. That's what we're about. And the church here gives you a structure and a place to have community and to work together because no single one of us is Jesus Christ on our own. We are each a part of the body. And, and I, I may touch on that, because you guys have community, I may touch on that again in, the, in a minute. But we are each a part of the body, and therefore, as we come together, in, in John chapter 13, verse what, 34, 35, I think it is, he says, by this they will know you're my disciples, by the love you have for one another. Okay, The world will see Christ, not simply because Piero is out ministering to some overly tall German dude, or whether it's because you're working with, you know, crew or whatever. These are all good things, don't be wrong. But ultimately, the world sees Christ when his people love one another. Because it's not enough if I'm just a nice guy, which I'm not a nice enough guy, so that's probably not going to work anyway. But even if I was the nicest guy, that's not going to do it. But as we love one another, it's what Jesus says, by your love for one another, your love for other brothers and sisters, the world will see Christ. Because when you go, I'm going there now, because <laughs> when you go and think about the Lord's Supper, do you have a solid piece of bread here that you're going to tear pieces off of? Is that right? Awesome. So Jesus, that's what he did, right? He had a piece of bread, and he tore off, and he goes, this is my body for you. This is my body. And each person gets a piece. It was a solid piece. gets broken into pieces. So the one becomes many, so the many can become one. You see that? That's a beautiful picture that we'll get to be a part of in a few minutes when Piero leads us or whoever leads us to the Lord's Supper. But the, the one of Christ becomes many. His body is broken for us so that the many, so that us can become one. 
That's one of the many things we see in communion that we need to keep in mind, that that's part of that picture, is that it is uniting us in Christ, and we have the oneness, and it's what, John 13, the way the world sees Jesus. See him because of the love we have for one another. This is, well, before I show you that, here, I've got a quick question. How many of you have smartphones? Okay, all right. Anybody's not raising their hand, like it's time. <laughs> Give up the flip phone. All right. So do me a favor, and you'll be okay. Can you put your phone away for just a second? Just put it, like, screen off, right? Like, I know this is going to be the hardest 30 seconds of your life for a couple of you, but just we'll get through it together, all right? All right, here's what you do. Now think about your phone without looking at it. What is the icon in the bottom right or the last icon on your front screen? So just think for a second, like what is that app or whatever, right? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to pull it out, check really quick, and then put it back away and see if you're right. So check quick, see if you're right. All right, and put it away now. How many of you were correct? Wow. That's actually the highest percentage I've ever seen. All right, now here's another question. When each of you opens your phone on the front screen, you each have a clock. How many of you noticed what time it was? Seriously? Nobody? Like, like, do you guys not have clocks? Like, big giant clock on the front screen. None of you noticed what time it was. So, <laughs> you're in trouble. Somebody's upset with you. Um, I didn't know if they were coming down. It sounded like they coming down the stairs. Here's my point with the clock. All I had to do was distract you. I told you to look for something less important, right? And that was right in front of your face you didn't see. And sometimes, again, that's all the enemy has to do. Get us distracted with something that's actually not that important, and it begins to take our time, our energy, our concentration, our focus, and suddenly what God is putting right in front of our face, we miss. And so it's so, it's so easy for us to just simply get distracted. Now, this is a picture of where I live. Well, I don't live on Alder Rock, but anyway, <laughs> this is very close to my house. So uh, we talked about, talk about hiking a hill earlier. This is one of the hills near us. So if you ever come, uh, it's a gorgeous place. Here's a view of it from above. It's called Pulpit Rock. Yeah, not a bad place. The last Mission Impossible movie, they actually had a fight on Pulpit Rock, Tom Cruise. But then they blue screened the rest and made it like Kazakhstan. So it's a really good It was weird. I was like, I was like a Kyrgyzstan. It was like a made up place, but whatever. So now, uh, but Tom Cruise came back during COVID and actually filmed the next Mission Impossible because he likes Norway. So that's cool. But anyway, so this is, this is where I live. On your way up, and if you go up top, you'll see this. You'll see piles of rocks. The same place, people will pick up rocks from the bottom, or at least claim it came from the bottom, and they carry it out. This is something people do in Norway on all these hikes, and they put a rock at the top. When they get there, it kind of marks that they were there. And it reminds you of the children of Israel and how they would build a monument. And when I look at this, it's, it's neat because you go, wow, we see people that came before. But one of the important things to remember is that as we build monuments, we want to remember what God has done. But it's not about stopping here. It's always the temptation, let's just stop and settle. Abraham's father does that. That's a whole other sermon, but I actually believe that he was called originally to be who we could think of as Abraham was going to be his dad, but he stopped because his son was, had died. And it's a whole other good sermon. But he, he, we, we have a temptation to stop. It's not to stop, but it is to remember. 
to remember the things God has done in the past because as we move forward, we're always going to have new challenges. Challenges that take more faith than the faith that we've had to have in the past. And so what happens is that our past, our future faith is based on past experiences. And if you have a faulty memory, you're going to have faulty faith. Because what God has done already to get you here, it's taken faith. But you're not done. God's never like, okay, you're good. Now, there's another way to think about this image, which is many of you will leave here at some point, but you've left a stone. As you move on, next thing God calls you to, but you've built something for others to come and to find and to participate in. But so I encourage you to remember where you've come from. Remember the things God has done, and yet at the same time, you're doing that, you build the monument, and you keep going wherever God calls you to go. As we looked a second ago at the scriptures, I won't reread them. Acts 11, thank you, Grace, for reading them. Uh, I won't reread it, but I want to come up and bring out a couple of points from there. So in Acts here, 11, you'll notice that here in Acts 11, there was a, a multi-ethnic church. There was likely 18 different ethnic enclaves living in Antioch. Okay? So the church in Antioch could have been developed in 18 different ways. It could have been 18 different ethnic churches. But that's not what happens. They actually come together, and in some ways, this is the birth of the first international church. And as we read these verses that we read here, the church, those who have been scattered of, um, of because of the persecution, I love this, and it says in that verse 19, they were speaking the word to no one except Jews. But then there were some of them that began to talk to the Hellenists, or to the non-Jews, to the Greeks. Now, I don't know if any of you have Jewish roots. I don't. Most of us probably don't. So we're part of that. They were only telling the Jews about Jesus. It starts to go to all these other potentially 18 different ethnic groups, and they begin to worship together and to figure it out. Like, cultures aren't the same. The way they maybe like to sing isn't the same. The language they use isn't. The food they eat. But they start to figure it out and get along in a way that's never been done before. And we have the birth in Antioch of the First International Church. And in a way, we're, we're a product, a future product of this, as they figured it out. A few things that are really cool. Barnabas goes off, remember when Grace read, to find Saul of Tarsus. The international church is a place where the ignored are empowered. Now, many times, and, and many of you may have experienced this, many times foreigners don't feel empowered in a different country. They often feel ignored. They Sometimes it's worse than being ignored. Sometimes we are... I mean, there's prejudice against us, and it's, it's harder to get jobs. It can be all kinds of things. And, and many of you may have experienced that in your life. But the international church, it's a place where the ignored are empowered. And that's a beautiful thing. And does God use that? <laughs> does God use Saul of Tarsus? It's a good thing it was an international church that was willing to take in this guy who was a former terrorist, and the other churches didn't want to touch. You know, it's funny. There's actually one of our ICs in a country that I won't mention because of the security issues actually had a former um, jihadist come to their church because the local churches, he knew he didn't feel like he could go there because of the things he had done and them knowing about that. But he felt the international church was willing to accept him despite his past as a radical Islamist after the international pastor actually led him to Christ. It's a really cool story, but it's because of an international church. And this was a local guy from that culture. But because the international church was there extending grace, we also see they send money to others in need. This shows they get it. They get that the Christian life isn't just about receiving. It's also about giving. It's about sacrifice. The international church, we get that. 
I'm not saying indigenous churches don't, but it is easier for an indigenous church to just be comfortable, to just kind of be more consumeristic. But because we've had sometimes a harder path ourselves as foreigners, we, we're there to help others and say, hey, there's others in need. I've, I've been there before, and heck, I might be there again. And so they, they get it. They get being a part of the mission of God, the mission of Christ, being his hands and feet. It's also neat that this is where they're first called Christians. Now, the word Christian has some other issues today, depending on the culture. All right, But, but at this point, they're called Christians. What's cool about that to me, their identity changed. Their citizenship. I have two passports in my backpack right there for two different countries. But my true citizenship is in a different kingdom. Right? And that's why when I get to go around the world and I meet brothers and sisters, and I go, I've never met these people, but they're brothers and sisters in Christ. They're people I'll get to know for eternity. That's where our identity is. But notice, before this, in the very beginning, they were only sharing the gospel with other Jews. Their identity was so wrapped up in their earthly citizenship. But it changes in Antioch. And they start calling them Christians. Going, it doesn't matter if you're from India or Ecuador or Peru. I mean, it matters, don't get me wrong, and your heritage and culture is wonderful, but that's not your chief identity. It's still a part of who we are. We never see, even in Revelation, we never see the nations gone. It's a beautiful thing as we bring that together, but the primary identity is that we're in Christ together. And so that's another shift we see for the international church here in Acts chapter 11. Now, one more Scripture we didn't get to read is in Acts 13. So we skip down a few, a few verses here. It says, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Do you see Isaiah 66 being fulfilled? Here it explains who are the people there. And it tells us the, the vast variety, right? It mentions Simeon, who was black. That's what it says. They called him, one translation, they called him a black man. Okay, so they're pointing out there's different skin colors now. It's not all, they don't all look alike. That's awesome, right? Then we get that there's a guy, Lucius, he's from Cyrene. Different places they're from. They look different, they're from different backgrounds. Then the socioeconomics are different. We've got Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod. Now, by the way, Herod is like not a hero in the Bible. Imagine an international church right now from my context. Imagine a lifelong friend of Vladimir Putin's coming into the church. There's a lot of places he might not feel welcome. But international church, we can have that. I mean, that's what Herod was, a lifelong friend of Herod of all people. And yet he's there in the church. It's pretty cool. And then, and then of course, it lists Saul, a, ter a former terrorist. This is who's meeting together. What different backgrounds. No synagogue could ever look like this. The church was something altogether different, bringing in all these different people, enticing people. And then what do they do? God says, now set these, part, these apart for me and send them out. So, again, he's brought the nations, and from them he's sending. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture of what the international church is all about. And it's, part of it, it's, it's painful. Because we look and we say, man, I don't want to send these people out. I mean, this is Saul of Tarsus, the future apostle Paul. Imagine if we could just hold on to him in our church. But that wasn't what God wanted. And there's a lot of people that have left my church. And I've gone, no, no, God, can't I keep them? I've invested in them, and now they're, 
they're really helpful to have around. They're doing great ministry, but God uses them in other places. And in many ways, we also see that our reality today is similar to the reality in the early church. There were three key things that I think made a big difference for Paul and others as they founded the early church. One was the Roman roads. It was easy transportation to get around the world. For us today, it's easier than ever. When I was a kid living in Europe in the 80s, it was $3,000 for one economy plane ticket. Today, I can get flights for my daughter from Oslo over to JFK, sometimes for 100 bucks one way. And then again, $83,000 is like 6000 a day. Like, I mean, you consider inflation and all. Like, it's crazy how much cheaper it is that we can travel around the world. And for, it's, I'm not saying it's cheap. I understand it. <laughs> it costs money, but it's way cheaper than it used to be. So it's, we have this advantage now that we can connect. They had the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. Rome had kind of conquered everybody in their area, so they had peace. Today, there is still war. We are well aware of that, but there is more peace today than there's ever been. It's easy to go to 95% of the countries in the world, and we're able to have people migrating back and forth. And so that general peace we also have. We've got a picture there of the United Nations, that, you know, nations working together, and there's, there's less of the warring there used to be. And then Paul had the common Greek language that says hello in Greek. People all understood Greek because they had to for business, and we have English today. Now, not all international churches use English. There are some that use Spanish and French, and they have multiple nationalities together. But English is the most common. But even when it comes to Spanish or French, it's still some major languages that people have learned for just being able to, uh, to, to exist in their, in their space, and we're able to use that in our churches. So it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And then God takes his international churches and does amazing stuff through it. I was talking to Piero earlier about a church in Hanoi that I'm going to go preach at in, I don't know, a few weeks. It's Hanoi International Fellowship. And they've got a Dutch pastor there. He came to reach the Vietnamese. And here's something I wanted to tell you because I think it affects New City in a way too. He comes to reach the Vietnamese. And God calls him to pastor this church. And he goes, I don't want to pastor this church. I don't want to reach English speakers. I'm here for the locals. But God doesn't let go of him. I mean, they reached out to him anyway. And he takes this on. Now, the church doesn't exist legally. He's not there. He's there legally as a trailing spouse. His wife has a visa. This was 20 years ago and maybe a little bit more now. Um, and he reads a book by Ray Bakke called A Theology as Big as the City. And the book says, go talk to the mayor and find out what the needs of the city are and invest yourself in that. He's like, well, I can't do that. It's a communist country and we don't exist legally. And I mean, I've met one of the people in this church who's been in prison there for being a missionary. So he's like, okay, God, I'll do what I can, but I can't do that. There's no way I'll ever sit in the mayor's office. He ends up making, becoming friends with a police officer and ends up telling him what he's really there for. And they build a relationship. The police officer likes what he's doing because one of the things they do is they start a ministry called Love Hanoi, which is now going to be Love Your City, and we're starting it in other cities. And it was how can we invest in seven different areas of culture, like health and education and um, poverty and so forth. How can we invest to lift up our city? Out of Jeremiah, which I noticed on your website, that you guys have the, the same verse quoted. I got a, uh, <clears throat> but seek the welfare of the city. You have that on the website. Where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. And that's what he's doing. That was the idea. And he begins to work with other churches and local churches. of over, over 50 today now, Vietnamese churches. And they do things like working with street children and prostitution. Um, helping with just picking up litter. All kinds of just to love the city. So the police officer sees the good work, they become friends, 
The police officer becomes the chief of police in Hanoi, the capital of Vietnam. So he's sitting one day with Jacob in his office, and Jacob's going, well, God, it's not the mayor, but this is pretty amazing that he knows I'm a pastor and I'm sitting in the police station, but not in prison. And the mayor says to him, he's, I'm sorry, the, mayor, the chief of police says to him, says, you know, I know Christmas is coming. This is years ago. But he goes, I know Christmas is coming, and I was wondering if you want to come down. We have a theater here at the police station, and you guys from your, your, your community could do like some something like Christmas, songs, skits, whatever, and then my officers will do like some Vietnamese songs and dances and we'll do a cultural exchange. He was invited to share the gospel. An international church just loving on the foreigners, doing what they can to love the city they're in, God opens up these doors. So he says, of course, there they are, doing these things about Jesus for Christmas. Well, lo and behold, the chief of police ends up becoming the mayor of Hanoi. <laughs> So there Jacob is going, okay, God, apparently I can sit in the mayor's office. And so about 2016, was it? Yeah, 2016, Jacob goes to him and says, hey, the 500th anniversary of an important moment called the Reformation is coming, and we want to honor our ancestors, which is, of course, big for the Vietnamese. And um, he said, what do you want to do? We want to do a big celebration, which the Vietnamese love big celebrations. Anyway, long story short, the mayor ends up saying, you can use the National Volleyball Stadium for free. Yakov says, I want to invite a speaker, somebody in. Okay, who do you want? Yakov says, there's a guy, Franklin Graham. The mayor of Hanoi doesn't know who that is, but he says, okay. Well, Yakov doesn't know Franklin, so he calls up the BGEA. He's like, uh, would Franklin like to come to Hanoi and speak at an event? They said, we've been trying to get into Vietnam for years. They won't let us in. They said, well, I can get you in. Within a week, BGEA staff were on the ground doing planning only because an international church had opened the door for them to be able to get into the country. A year later, they had the Love Hanoi Festival. Franklin spoke and over 4,000 Vietnamese gave their lives to Christ. And over 50 local churches were there to take them in and to continue discipleship with them. Now I say all that to say that look at how God used the international church not only to continue to impact internationals, but also the city they were in. So it is a both and, it's a wonderful thing, but often we as internationals, although we may have a harder road, you can, it's hard when you know you go to prison. It's hard when you're a foreigner and maybe people don't respect you the same way. And yet, somehow through that, sometimes God opens up greater doors for us to have an impact than we could have had if we were just locals. So it's a beautiful, beautiful picture of where God is taking us. Now, before I close, there was an article in the Smithsonian Magazine recently, some, a little while ago now, but about trees and how they talk to each other. Now, I don't totally buy the whole trees talking to each other, but here was the, the interesting part to me. So they found a stump, and the stump had been, had been like down for a couple hundred years. They could tell, I think maybe 500, um, and yet it was still alive. And there was no way that it was getting any, it had no leaves, it had no, the canopy wasn't letting any sunlight through, and they discovered that the roots of the trees had connected to each other, and the other trees were feeding it, keeping the stump alive. And it's just a picture of us and our need to be in fellowship. And that's one of the things I love about MICN, because we can help one another. We can encourage one another. There's times where we have struggles, and whether it's pastors needing to connect with other pastors, or whether it's churches and families and congregations, leaders, whatever, there is a, a there is, <laughs> it's the way God has made us, just like as he said, that uh, by your love for one another's congregation, just as we break the bread, the many become one. One became many, so the many can become one. It's also true that as we are all over the world, we have so much more in common. We find that we have more in common our church with your church than we do with the Norwegian church. 
just because a lot of the things we're dealing with are very much the same. And so I encourage you to stay in fellowship. Let us know how we can serve you. But not only that, how you all can serve us because a network is only as strong as the different churches. The forest is only as strong as the different trees. It's, it's not that the forest is something. It's each individual piece that makes up that forest. Yeah, so in, in closing, I just want to bring up one last quote. As you all are looking to where God is taking you right now, I don't know exactly what God has for you, but I've seen the vision. I'm excited by it. I'm excited for you all. I think you've got a great pastor. You've got some other wonderful volunteers. But it's going to take faith. There will be difficult times ahead. And it's really easy, like that rock pile, to just go, you know what? I'm sitting at the top of the, you know, there we call it pulpit rock, that pike hike. I think I'll just stay here forever. This is beautiful up here. But God doesn't call us to stop. He lets us have, have a view and have a picnic maybe, but it, you have to get, you've got to keep moving. And so I encourage you in that. There's a great, great quote by Paulo Coelho that says, the ship is safest when it is in port, but that's not what ships were built for. And so often a new church, a church plant, starts out pushing the boat out because we got nothing to lose. Like, you're just starting on this little boat, let's go. But then as things grow, sometimes we have a temptation. You know what? Let's, let's dock it. Let, let's just, we, we, we got our ship, now it's a little bit of a, a yacht, and let's just dock it. But the, it's not intended to be important, neither is your church. It may feel safest that way, but you're going to have to continue taking risks, which are not really risks because your memory of what God has done impacts your faith in what he will do. Can I pray for you all? And we'll close. God, we just thank you for this chance to be a part of what you're doing around the world through the international church movement, your movement of international churches. As, as people are more on the move today than they've ever been, as we're excited about being on mission with you, wherever you call us. And today, it's here in, in Hell's Kitchen. Tomorrow, you may call someone here somewhere completely different. But God, we just pray, I, I want to pray for this, this church, particularly, Father, for these people who are here, that you would continue to ignite each one of them the flame of your vision for this city and for this church, that each of them would know the part that they are called to play. None of us is called to do it all. It's through the Spirit, as Piero spoke earlier, it's you that's building the church, yet each of us are a tool in your hand. And God, may each of us fulfill the unique purpose in your hand. God, we're sometimes so focused on the location, the geography, because we come from here, we're going there, and things are different. And yet in the Bible, it seems there's more of a focus on the time in which we are living. And so I pray, Father, you would give wisdom to the leaders here and the members here, Father, of how are they called to live out your calling on their life in this time, in this age, Father, that they are in. That they might live out their purpose, as, as it says David did. He he fulfilled his purpose in his generation. May New City fulfill its purpose in this generation. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.